Save big on your Memorial Day barbecue, all in the Kroger app. Get three-pound rolls of juicy 80% lean ground beef for $3.49 a pound with a digital coupon. Then get select varieties of flavorful Powerade, Body Armor Super Drink, or Arizona Tea for 77 cents each, all with your card. Shop these deals at your local Kroger today. Or tap the screen now to download the Kroger app to save big today. Kroger, fresh for everyone. Prices and product availability subject to change. Restrictions apply. See site for details. What's up, you guys? Call Store here, lead boxing writer for Fightful.com. For those of you who are tuning in or will soon tune in, if you don't know what Fightful.com is, it is your premier destination for all things boxing, pro wrestling, and MMA. I'm here to discuss Canelo Alvarez versus Rocky Fielding, the, the quick, quick fight that it was. And boy, this, is, this was a fun fight. Uh, a fun fight to watch because Canelo Alvarez is such a treat to watch. And yeah, for those of you tuning in, uh, thank you. If you have any questions, do you want me to answer about the night or leave your comments uh, on the evening? What'd you think of Canelo Alvarez's performance against Rocky Fielding? Leave it on in the chat. Give us a thumbs up, subscribe to our new Fightful MMA and boxing channel. But yeah, we're all here for Canelo Alvarez versus Rocky Fielding. If you saw the fight, it was, it went by in a flash, not even 10 minutes long. Canelo Alvarez stops Rocky Fielding with multiple knockdowns, and the referee finally puts a stop to it at 2 minutes and 38 seconds of round number 3. Overall, this was what a lot of people expected. Canelo Alvarez was going to dominate the fight and make it a very, very uh, quick night. I personally did not think heading into this fight that it's going to be as easy for Canelo Alvarez as some may initially have predicted, but man, this, boy, was was I wrong? I, and and I give a lot of credit to Rocky Fielder stepping in there and really trying his best to make it a fight against Canelo Alvarez, but Canelo was just way too strong, way too good, had the absolute perfect game plan. Rocky really did not have a good game plan at all. Instead of, you know, trying to outbox and uses size and length advantage really he just tried to you know, try to engage in a lot of close quarter combat with canelo alvarez which really it played right into canelo's hands he canelo's game plan was just simply work the body work the body and work the body and until rocky could not stand no more and that's exactly what happened all three rounds featured at least one knockdown, all of them being uh, featuring at least one knockdown due to a body shot. So let's really get down to it. Uh, not much to recap, but we will try to recap. You got, again, so you have any questions or have any thoughts on the matter, drop them in the live chat below. But yeah, so first round, Canelo Alvarez just, just starts working the body you know rocky rocky fielding kind of start jabbing away at, at canelo you know doing well trying to find his range so far but canelo quickly closes in and just decimates rocky fielding takes him down with one with a body shot that it really i think it'll kind of all started with with a right hook upstairs and and really the fight just it was a story of Canelo Alvarez just dominating with the body shot. First round, Canelo Alvarez knocks down knocks down Rocky Fielding with a body shot. Second round, the same thing. Canelo Alvarez knocks down Rocky Fielding with another 
body shot and just the story of that fight, especially the second knockdown, was that Rocky was taking the knee every time Canelo hit that decisive body shot. And Rocky in the second round was looking to his corner and, and Sugar Ray Leonard and, and was kind of was going to say on commentary, hey, that's not really a good sign. If you get knocked down, you look at your corner like that. And Jamie Moore, his trainer, is keep telling Rocky to get up, get up, get up. And Rocky got up, but you could tell just his expression, his facial expressions kind of told, yeah, I'm good to fight. But his body language was just telling a completely different story. His body cannot handle any more of, uh, of these Canelo Alvarez shots. And I, I wrote it on Twitter at Carl Storer 360. After that first knockdown, I said, this could be a very, very short night for Canelo Alvarez because uh, it did not look like Rocky was prepared for what would happen if Canelo started to work the body. Uh, and really, Canelo Alvarez was, he was just too good. He... I don't think there was really anyone that thought Rocky Villain had a great chance of winning this fight, period. I thought this fight maybe could have gone long, and I actually said on the record, I thought Canelo was going to win by stoppage, but I thought it was going to be deep into the fight, 10, 11 rounds. I thought Rocky was going to use his, his reach advantage. I thought he was going to use the right jab to at least try to keep Canelo Alvarez at bay, maybe try to... You know, win some rounds and keep the, and you know, kind of maybe not stop Canelo Alvarez because you can't really stop him, but more so you can slow him down and prevent him from hitting his best shots early on in the fight until Canelo Alvarez figures it out and eventually stops Rocky Fielding. Not at all. I, even Canelo Alvarez said in the post-fight interview, "I'm I'm surprised. I expected him to try to use his, his reach to outbox me. You know, make this into a boxing fight, not a slugfest." And quite frankly, I was surprised too. So second round, Rocky Fielding gets knocked down, looks at his corner. He gets up, keeps fighting. The third knockdown, which was in the third round, it wasn't a body shot, but it was, uh, I believe, a right hook upstairs. And Rocky kind of went down. He looks at his tr- corner again and he tell him to get up and to keep fighting. And Rocky did get up. But seconds later, Canelo just worked the body and just hit hammered home the fact that his power translates so, so well to 168 pounds. And Canelo hits another body shot to Rocky. Rocky goes on one knee. Referee stops it with less than 30 seconds remaining in the round. And that was it. Canelo Alvarez is your new WBA regular super middleweight champion. That's the secondary title for the WBA, Calum Smith, is the what's considered the WBA super champion, the top champion for the WBA. But regardless, a world title is a world title, whether it be a primary or a secondary or tertiary world title. Manolo Alvarez is now a champion of three different weight classes. He's held the WBC junior middleweight title. He's held a number of titles at middleweight and now has going to hold on to the title at 168 pounds. Uh, Royston Drent, uh, I hope I'm pronouncing the name right, in the live chat saying, Katie Taylor, fight of the night. We will discuss the Katie Taylor fight, and in my opinion, I think it was the best fight of the night. It was a really, really fun fight, especially those last two rounds. They were simply phenomenal. Madison Square Garden, for as empty as it was, uh, at the time of the card, they they got up and they were loud for those last two rounds. But we will discuss that more as we get further into the show. So Canelo Alvarez is now technically a dual champion. He's holding a title at 
at middleweight. He's holding a couple of titles at middleweight and is now holding a title as super middleweight. But he does not plan to remain at 168 pounds, as Canelo Alvarez stated multiple times before the fight and kind of reiterated that after the fight, saying, listen, my plan is to go back down to middleweight. I don't know against who. I got plenty of options, but I'm going to look it over with my team, see what's out there. There's plenty of options at 160 pounds for him. There's, you know, for, for a lot of people thought that maybe Canelo Alvarez was going to fight David Lemieux. That's what everyone was thinking until... Yesterday, David Lemieux was unable to even reach the weigh-ins because of severe, or at least from what appeared to be weight-related dehydration issues. So I don't know what's going to be the status of him being the WBA mandatory challenger at 160 pounds. So we will see in the coming weeks, I suppose. Gray Johnson says, would you agree it's a bit of a no-win situation for Canelo? He's supposed to destroy a guy like Fielding and make it look like a breeze. But if he lost rounds, he would have gotten buried by the fans. Yes, in a way, yes, I do kind of agree because fans in the United States that didn't really see, haven't had a chance to see Rocky Fielding. A lot of people are just remembering, they just kept referencing Rocky Fielding's first round knockout loss to Callum Smith a few years back. And they kind of used that as a way to kind of gauge how Rocky is as a fighter, which is kind of an unfair type of, type of comparison, but I think Rocky is doing really, uh, has done really well since the Callum Smith loss. He certainly did well in going to Germany, beating Tyron Zog to win the WA title. I thought Tyron was going to win that fight and Rocky just dominated and got that, I believe, a fifth round TKO win over Tyron to win the WBA title. But uh, yeah, in reality, listen, if a lot of you go to social media, a lot of people are thinking that this uh, Canelo's going to win this easy. He should win this easy. He's a nobody. And, and I hate to use this term to describe a boxer, but a lot of people are calling Rocky Fielding a bum. I don't agree with that. I don't I don't like calling boxers bums or I don't like calling any combat sports athlete bums because I, I think it takes a lot of guts to even step into the ring to fight. But regardless, Rocky, you know, he put up a brave, a brave fight, whatever that, whatever that means, because he sure as hell didn't really do anything to Canelo Alvarez. Canelo, he he looked like he was hurt more from the training than in the actual fight. If he came into the New York during fight week and he, he kind of saw like one of his eyes looked oh, just a tiny bit bruised, and he he I, he kept saying that it wasn't because of the training, but I mean I don't know how else. It was he. I don't know if he fell down the stairs or something, but uh, quite frankly, I think the I think Canelo what needed to get this dominant win because we've seen him with the two wars against Gennady Golovkin, and I think some people may have kind of forgotten how, just how strong of a puncher Canelo Alvarez is, how good of a puncher he is, and. You know, a lot. Some people might think that like he's moving up in weight, so he's gonna have a harder time punching guys. But in reality, for for a guy like Canelo Alvarez, who's pretty big for 160, he's going to he actually had didn't have as much trouble cutting the weight. He he had a lot of a lot of time to adjust his power to 160, and it's really been a, a thing for for boxers when moving up in weight. It's not so much that you're you're no longer just you know bulking up for just to make the weight, but also simply just getting the power to translate from one weight class to another. 
because you're going to have to develop your power if you're planning on moving up in weight. And Canelo Alvarez, you know, at middleweight, he was already extremely strong for 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 a 160-pound boxer. So going into 168, it was really not much of a problem with him. It was a matter of uh, how he would handle the, you know, the the diet change, the training for 168. I don't really think there was much of an issue with Kendall Alvarez making way to 168, and he could certainly dominate 168. A fight between him and Calum Smith would be fantastic. I think that'd be the best fight at 168 you can make right now, but Kendall Alvarez is planning to move back down to middleweight. Maybe we could see him back super middleweight sometime in the future, but right now... It does look like Canelo Alvarez is going to go back to one uh, to middleweight for May fourth, two thousand nineteen. Now, uh, you know, someone asked in the live chat, any of the um, the person's not right now, but uh, but it's Canelo Alvarez, and he's making that um that the zone money that's three hundred sixty five million over the course of eleven fights. So you do the math. That's that's at least three thirty million. I think that's thirty three million. I, I could be wrong. My my math might be off, a little off, but it's somewhere in that ballpark. So he's get, so imagine this: Canelo Alvarez didn't even fight three full rounds, and he's now making he made more than ten million dollars per round. That's insane for for a guy like Canelo Alvarez. He get paid in excess of thirty million dollars for what essentially turned out to be a sparring session. And again, I don't mean to discredit Rocky Fielding because I think he's a great boxer, but he was nowhere near in the stratosphere as and nowhere near on the level as Canelo Alvarez. Rocky came with came into the fight with the wrong game plan, the type of game plan that fit right into Canelo's strategy, which was work the body. And man, he would just just Canelo would just dominate this fight. It was a reminder of how great he really is. I, I think with the two Golovkin fights, I think people have kind of have forgotten just how truly special Golovkin is. Well, remember, he's 28 years old. He's right now technically entering the peak, his physical pre- peak as a fighter, as an athlete. You imagine how he's going to be this good for the probably for the for the entire duration of the zone contract. Just think about that for a second. And a lot of people, he's already on a lot of people's list. He's already an all-time great Mexican boxer. I I think he's an all-time great Mexican boxer. Right now, if he retired today, he's certainly in the top 10. I don't know where in the top 10. Probably bottom in the bottom five of that top 10. But he certainly would be in that top 10 of all-time greatest Mexican boxers. At 28 years old, a three-way world champion... 50 wins, one loss, and two draws. His resume is incredible. Shane Mosley, Miguel Cotto, Gennady Golovkin, Edison Dilara, Austin Trapp, when he was pretty much being avoided by a lot of people at 154 pounds. He is just, he's just, he's a guy that has such an incredible run. And I, I kind of have a feeling that like some people just kind of taking it for granted, maybe not on purpose or, or consciously, but Canelo is, is an incredible boxer. He is such a special talent that I really think that if you if you were to really look back at as Canelo's career, his pro career thus far, you can't help but think that it is one of the all-time great careers of the 21st century. And he truly is you know, something really, really great. And 
with what does the zone contract has? Now, Canelo has 10 fights remaining on that contract. There is a lot, a lot of names out there for Canelo to fight. Now, the immediate question is, who's he going to fight on May 4th? Well, as I said, David Lemieux is the mandatory challenger to um, Canelo's WBA title at 160 pounds. He missed weight. He didn't miss weight. He didn't even reach the weigh-ins. His fight against Toriano Johnson, which was supposed to be the co-main event tonight, got canceled. He is the middleweight mandatory challenger. But David Lemieux has had a history of missing weight, of just just struggling to get to 160 pounds. I don't know if the WEA is going to keep him as the mandatory challenger. I wouldn't. It's way too much of a risk for a fight to have Canelo against Lemieux and simply have David Lemieux essentially toss a coin to see whether or not he's going to make it to the weigh-ins and make weight. He is better suited at 168. Now, in... Gray Johnson in the chat saying Canelo and Mew at a 168 then? It's possible. You can do that. You can do that down the line. I don't think it's going to be in next May because Canelo's, you know, Canelo's insisting on going back to middleweight, but you can certainly do that. David Lemieux, if, if David Lemieux is such a great puncher and knockout artist at 168 pounds, when he's practically killing himself to make the weight, imagine when now you give him eight pounds of leeway and eight pounds to really get healthy, really get his body acclimated to the weight. He could be a real player at 168 pounds. During that brief time when David Lemieux was ranked in by the WBC at 168 pounds because everyone thought he was going to fight at super middleweight from now on. Before he was going, before he fought uh, Gary Spike Sullivan back in September, I personally thought Lemieux was kind of like right around borderline top ten super middleweight, as he is without even taking a good look at him in in big fights at one sixty eight. You could do that fight at one sixty eight if Canelo eventually goes up in weight, and I think that's still a really attractive fight because Lemieux. I'm sad that he didn't get to fight because Lemieux is such a, a really, really exciting knockout artist. You can you look at the Gary Spike O'Sullivan knockout. That was simply phenomenal. You look at the Curtis Stevens knockout from, I think, last year or two years ago. That was also really, really fun. Lemieux is a walking knockout of the year candidate every time he steps into the ring. But, again, you cannot in good conscience make this fight at 160 pounds. You just cannot. Now, I don't think if they were to do that now, the WBA, I don't think they're that in love with the fight with Canelo Lemieux to just say, well, we don't have a mandatory challenger for the WBA regular super middleweight title. Let's try to make that fight for 168 then and anoint Lemieux as a mandatory challenger of a weight class he really has not fought yet. I don't think it's going to be Done. So right now, I say the favorite to fight Canelo Alvarez in May would be Daniel Jacobs. Now, Daniel Jacobs is a, I guess, network free agent. He's essentially choosing between PBC, who is in with broadcast deals with PB, uh, Fox and Showtime, and then you got the Zone. Now, you can make a case for either, but really, for for Jacobs as the IBF middleweight champion, really the better fights are by far on the Zone. 
you know, money, I don't think that's really going to be weighing much on Daniel Jacobs' mind in terms of selecting one company with the other because I think both companies have plenty of money to offer Daniel Jacobs. So that I don't think that really makes much of a difference. But really, if you go to if you go to PBC, you essentially got Jamal Charlo, which is a really fun fight. I would love to see Daniel Jacobs versus Jamal Charlo. And that would be that's a fight they've been hinting and kind of teasing at for several months now. But I don't think but the problem is I think Daniel Jacobs is smart enough to kind of look past that past like one fight for PBC. And Daniel Jacobs if he wants to unify and he really wants the Canelo fight, I think that can I think he is going to remain with with the go with go to the zone and remain with Matchroom Boxing. You can't really knock Matchroom Boxing for signing Daniel Jacobs and giving him the promises they want because uh, they gave him because, well, they they essentially said, listen, you sign with us, we'll give you either the Canelo fight or the Golovkin fight, and we'll give you a middle and you, we'll do our best to give you a middleweight title fight. Now he Eddie Hearn was kind of one for two on those on those two promises. He did get him a, a world title shot, and he did win the the IBF title against Sergey Derevyanchenko back in October. But you know, with Canelo and Golovkin being busy with the rematches, it was impossible for Eddie Hearn to try to get Jacobs the the fight against either of those two guys on HBO. It was not going to happen. But you can but you can certainly make that fight happen on the zone, Jacobs doesn't have to deal with mandatory challengers and we just don't know about Lemieux and his status so really and and, re- and also mandatory unification fights in most cases trump mandatory fights so you do that fight in May 4 2019 at the T-Mobile Arena Canelo Alvarez or Daniel Jacobs that's a hell of a fight and i think a lot of people see, are kind of forgetting the fact that when Daniel Jacobs and Golovkin fought back in March 2017. That fight was really, really close. A lot of people thought Jacobs won that fight. I personally had Golovkin winning, but it was because of that knockdown you scored on Jacobs. In terms of rounds, I actually had it even. So I think people kind of are forgetting just how good Daniel Jacobs is. He's, He's certainly someone that can give Canelo problems. I don't know if Canelo... I don't know if Jacobs beats Canelo, but that's such an incredibly difficult fight. And I think Canelo Alvarez is just getting better and better and better with each fight. I think Canelo wins that, but I certainly would love to see that fight for May 2019. It was another one in the chat says, if we don't see Canelo Triple G3 in May, then it has to be Jacobs. I, I agree. And regarding Gennady Golovkin, it's, you know, we we probably won't know uh, until for the next few weeks where Golovkin is going to end up, whether it be PBC or the zone. I, I, you know, ESPN is making a big move, but I don't think they're going to get him. Anything is possible, but I don't think Golovkin is going to end up with ESPN in top rank. I think they, I think they're, they want to get the big fights. Golovkin still is still good enough to be, to be a champion, 160 pounds. And if you sign with DAZN, you're not just getting all the middleweight champions and all the big middleweights out there. You're also getting a, a couple of good super middleweights. Let's remember, Callum Smith, I believe, is a matchroom guy, and matchroom boxing is with DAZN. So you can certainly do that if Golovkin kind of eventually goes up to 160 pounds, uh, 168 pounds. So honestly, 
it's it's a very very interesting time in boxing because we don't know it's the uncertainty that's that's kind of keeping us intrigued because we we don't know where Canelo is going to end up I mean, we don't know where Golovkin is going to end up. We know where Canelo is going uh, to stay in the, on the zone for the next five years. We don't know where Golovkin is going to end up. We don't know where Jacobs is going to end up. We don't know what's going to happen with David Lemieux. So they kind of place a lot of different factors. Now, there's some, I guess, outside uh, fighters looking in that could potentially fight Canelo Alvarez. There's, you know, the zone kind of hammered home away the possibility of having Jaime Munguia potentially fight Canelo Alvarez one day, which I think that'd be a great fight, but I don't think Jaime Munguia is anywhere near ready for Canelo Alvarez. I don't think he's even ready for guys like Jermel Charlo and Jared Hurd, and even Edison Andy Lara. Maybe Lara, Lara but... Jaime Munguia is still young. He still has a lot of things to work. He still needs to tighten up his defense. His, his boxing is exciting. He's fantastic. He's a superstar in the making, but he still needs a little bit more season before we, we throw him to the lines then at that point. But if Jaime Munguia feels ready for those fights, I mean, I wouldn't be opposed to it. Jaime Munguia is defending his WBO junior middleweight title on the zone on January 26th, if memory serves me correct, they did make kind of the announcement official, although Jaime Munguia has been saying that for, for a while now. In, in Takeshi Inoue, I believe he had a press conference to announce the fight. It is, yeah, uh, January 26th, Jaime Munguia versus Takeshi Inoue. Eh, that's an interesting fight. Uh, th- in a way, that's kind of a... that that It is kind of a bizarre fight, you know, a bit of a bizarre trajectory for Jaime Munguia as a world champion because you go from winning the title against Saddam Ali, then to Liam Smith, then to Brandon Cook, and now Takeshi Inoue. Inoue is kind of in that same category where not a lot of people know out here know who Inoue who is, but Inoue is a guy out there that could potentially expose some of Jaime Munguia's defensive weaknesses. But I'm not sure if if Takeshi Inoue is ready for for Mungia's power. That's that's the thing. A lot of, if you're not a Jared Hurd or Jamel Charlo, I'm not sure. How, I, I'm not sure I, I can say whether conf, uh, confidently whether or not you can handle Jaime Mungia's power. So Jaime Mungia is a potential guy you can make at uh, you could prep for Canal Alvarez. And hey, I would not be opposed to it down the line, maybe a May uh, Cinco de Mayo 2020 or Mexican Independence Day weekend 2020. I would love that. I think by that point, I think we we could very well see, I mean, when yeah, truly develop into a real superstar. And by then we'll, we'll know if he's ready for the big fights at 154 and 160. So there's a lot of guys out there. Uh, Demetrius Andrade, he's defending his WBO middleweight title. In mid January against Arthur Akavov, which is, uh, I, I'm, not, I'm not sure I really quite saw that coming, but uh, so some of you that remember, Arthur Akavov fought Billy Joe Saunders all the way back in 2016, uh, late 2016, if I recall. It was Saunders' first WBO middleweight title defense, and I remember Ar- Arthur Akavov really really showed a lot of heart and did pretty well for himself against Billy Joe Saunders. Now, part of that may have been because Billy Joe did not look good, but quite frankly, outside of the David Lemieux win, Billy Joe does not really look that great in any of his title fights. So uh, take that as you will. That's that's an interesting title defense for 
Demetrius Andrade, but I, I would not be opposed to it. I think that could be a kind of bit under the radar kind of fight that could end up being a surprisingly decent fight. So I'm not sure what else to talk about Canelo Alvarez. Do you have any more questions or any comments regarding Canelo Alvarez and Rocky Fielding? Uh, it, it is kind of hard to stretch this into a full podcast when we've only really seen less than three rounds of this fight, but Canelo Alvarez is is truly something special. I, I'm curious, where do you guys think Canelo Alvarez lands on the all-time Mexican uh, list? Like, well, when it's all said and done, because it's kind of hard to determine that right now. He's only 28 years old. It's, I think in my opinion, if he has the second half as good as his first half, I think he could be in that immediate conversation, but it's kind of hard to really definitively have a better career and be a better boxer than Julio Cesar Chavez Sr. It's really, really, it's close to impossible. He could be he could be kind of like in that Salvador Sanchez type of level. I think I can see that happening. Yeah, I think at best he'll be a top 3 Mexican boxer all time at best. Maybe top 1 arguably. Because I think that's going to end up being a conversation forever forever and forever. I don't, I don't think there's going to think Alvarez unless he just beats Golovkin, Jacobs, Andrade, Munguia, Calvin Smith all in consecutive fights in dominant fashion. I don't see I, – I just cannot see Canelo Alvarez just being definitively the all-time greatest when you have Chavez Jr. in there. Um, more from the chat. There's big talk for Cal Smith, Triple G in a stadium here in the UK. I'd be down for that. I mean, listen, Golovkin – Golovkin's a draw in the UK. Some of you forget, but he he's a draw. He's a global draw, really, to be honest with you. And Cal Smith – Boy, he he became the new darling at 168 pounds by just dominating George Groves in the World Boxing Super Series Finals in Saudi Arabia. I did not expect that at all. And Callum Smith pretty much overpowered George Groves. And he, he potentially put himself in that immediate conversation for best boxing at 168 pounds. You know, he might as well be. He's... We really, you have, let's see, you have, he's better than George Groves. We've already seen that fight. I think he's better than Gilberto Ramirez. The WBC, it's, we don't have a champion because David Benavides is the champion recently because of his uh, positive drug test a couple of months ago. So, and you got Andre Durrell and I don't actually, I don't remember which Durrell and Andre or Anthony Durrell off the top of my head, but you have one of the Durrell brothers going against Avni Yildirim. This is the story of the one. As head of maintenance at a concert hall, he knows the show must always go on. That's why he works behind the scenes, ensuring every light is working, the HVAC is humming, and his facility shines. With Granger's supplies and solutions for every challenge he faces, plus 24-7 customer support, his venue never misses a beat. Call quickgranger.com or just stop by. Granger, for the ones who get it done. Uh, I believe next month or in a couple of months, if memory serves me correctly, on on a PPC card on FS1. So really, Callum Smith versus Golovkin, I would love that fight, but I don't know if Golovkin, you know, wants to 
move up to move up in weight yet. I think he still wants to keep winning titles at 160 pounds. And listen, even if Daniel Jacobs doesn't get the Canelo Alvarez fight for May, I would have no problem having Gennady Golovkin go up against uh, Daniel Jacobs and have that rematch for for early summer or deep into the summer. I don't think if if, if Jacobs and Golovkin sign with the zone, I don't think they would do Jacobs. Golovkin so near um, Canelo Alvarez's May uh, Cinco de Mayo fight. So I think they would leave that for like late June, early July, sort of give time to properly promote that fight. So we may see a, a Daniel Jacobs title defense right beforehand. And kind of Golovkin, I, I don't know, maybe he can sit the entire first half of 2019 uh, out so he can get that fight. So I don't know. So there's a lot of really good fun fights at 160, uh, 160 pounds for the zone. And quite frankly, I'm excited. I- I'm definitely excited. This is uh, this was a fun f- night. This is a really, really fun night in my opinion. Now, some people may not be a fan of c- certain fights of this Madison Square Garden card, but I certainly enjoyed it for the most part. So again, so someone asked, uh, asked in the chat at the start of the show, Kenny Taylor, fight of the night. Yeah, I think in my opinion, it was the best fight. It was it had the two best, the most exciting rounds of the night. So, but before that, let's let's start off from from the very beginning, top of the start of the night, right before the zone got went on the air. There was uh, one fight that uh, that was that wasn't on the zone. I'm not sure why it wasn't when there was no nothing preventing them from doing from airing this fight. But uh, Bilal Akaway defeated Francisco Fonse- uh, Victor Fonseca by TKO in the late in the seventh round. Uh, Akaway's a good guy, a good fighter. I'm hearing you know a lot of people from Australia coming on Twitter telling me how, that Bilal Akaway is a is a very very good fighter, a very underrated guy. When when you kind of look at that super middleweight division, he already owns a win over Giovanni De Carolis, who's a former world champion, and that's already very impressive. And he's he's only 19 fights into his career, and he's and he's gotten 14 knockout wins. He's a guy that you know he could be a player, you know, much much later in, in 2019, 168 pounds, or or early 2020. But he's not someone to watch out for. I wish I could have seen that fight, but I don't know why the zone didn't bother airing that fight. But then you got to the actual fight, uh, the zone card. Uh, Eves Ulysses Jr. defeated Maximiliano Becerra uh, by unanimous decision. Uh, Ulysses looked good in this fight. Didn't didn't really tr- knock him out as a lot of people kind of predicted him uh, would do. He did score two knockdowns uh, in the fight, which was the first time Becerra was knocked down in his pro career. It was a good showing by Ulysses, but he, he but as you'll see for some of these other golden boy fighters, they're not exactly kind of right. Uh, they're not at the level where you can say, yeah, he's definitely ready for, for the world, for world title fights. He's looked good. Nothing impressive in my eyes and a lot of people's eyes as well. So you have, you'll see junior getting the winner of Maximiliano Barrera. Labonte Roach jr. Defeated Alberto Mercado by unanimous decision. 99, 91, 98, 92, 97, 93 to retain the WBO international super featherweight title. Um, this again, just like, uh, Ulysses, 
Lamont was a guy that we that a lot of people kind of thought, hey, we, we, we're going to see some good, good knockouts tonight. They didn't really quite get that. They didn't even get a knockdown over Mercado. Mercado looked good in a couple of those rounds. He he was hurting. There was a moment early on in the fight where uh, Lamont Roach was kind of stunned a little bit, but it may have been, I didn't really quite get a look, good look at it, but it may have been because Mercado was, uh, accidentally stepped on him and hit him a punch and Roach was not... It was kind of caught off balance, but overall, this was a Lamont Roach fight dominated for for the most part. But there were some good moments of action there, and he's he, he needs a few more fights to really get people excited over Lamont Roach being a potential title challenger at Super Featherweight. But he's on the, he's on his way. He's on his way. I think he he still needs a couple of fights, but he he looked good, but he didn't look great in my opinion. Then you have the first world title fight of the night. Which I was surprised that they would do this fight so soon on the card. But regardless, it, it happened. Katie Taylor against Eva Wallstrom. Unified WBA and IBF women's lightweight titles. The, this was another fight of Katie Taylor that a lot of people thought this, this is going to be a fun fight. That it's going to be a competitive fight. Well, once again, people were half right on that. It was certainly fun. But in terms of the scorecards, it wasn't really all that competitive. Katie Taylor won all 10 rounds on all three judges' scorecards, 190. I had a 190 as well, but this was fun. Katie Taylor was ready to go. She she landed power punches throughout the entire fight, just pressured Eva Wallstrom, who was moving up in weight for the fight. The two were actually amateur rivals from well over a decade ago. But Kaylor was, she may have had less experience as a pro fighter heading into the fight, but she was the, but she was already far and above the better box, especially with her being more acclimated to 135 pounds compared to Eva Wallstrom. So Katie Taylor just keeps hitting her, hitting Eva with the with hooks left and right, and the ninth and tenth round. I gotta say, if you're a fan of women's boxing. Or if you're on the fence on women's boxing, I recommend, I highly recommend watching the ninth and 10th rounds. It was exciting. It was back and forth. They were trading shots left and right. It was a flurry after flurry after flurry after flurry. And Katie Taylor got the better of it on most occasions. Evo managed to get some good shots in. The crowd at Madison Square Garden was, I don't think, even half full. I don't think it even reached five figures up to that point of the night and they were on their feet. It was loud. I, they, I, at that point it was the loudest Madison Square Garden was throughout the entire night up to that point. And Taylor emerged victorious as, as expected. She's, she's arguably the best women's boxer in the world right now, pound for pound. I think this fight proved it. And now the, the, the path is on for Taylor's real super fight. Amanda Serrano signed a three-fight deal with the zone. They was kind of announced a couple of months ago, but it wasn't really kind of really pushed on in the news. But a few a couple of days ago, Serrano said on Twitter that she's going to be challenging for the vacant 115-pound world title. Uh, and uh, in January, they didn't, she didn't announce what card the zone has two cards, so she could be on, on either of them. And the plan is for her to win the title, become a seven division champion, something only Manny Pacquiao has ever done in history. 
Serrano is the only woman to in history to win division uh, titles in six divisions. She's the only Puerto Rican to ever do it in six divisions. So she's already she's she's in my opinion she's a Hall of Famer. And if she wins that seventh title, uh, she makes a good case for being the greatest women's boxer of all time. Her resume is incredible. It's born. It's legendary for women's boxing for not just winning all those different titles, but she's taking a path that's completely different from any other champion of these. uh, That's won four or five divisions in history. She's not someone who started at 115, got to 118, 122, 126, 130, 135, 140. She's not doing that. She's the 140-pound champion. She won that title a couple of months ago. Now she's dropping 25 pounds to win a world title at that weight class, and she has no problem. That's the, that's the amazing thing. It, you look at her in the ring, no matter what weight class, she looks completely healthy, confident, comfortable in whatever weight class. It's unlike anything I've ever seen in boxing, really. And, you know, not even Pacquiao did that. Pacquiao wasn't winning titles at super flyweight, then going to lightweight, and then going back down to featherweight. He wasn't doing that. So this, so Amanda Serrano, I think it's about, in my opinion, maybe the most well-respected women's boxer today. And Katie Taylor is certainly a very exciting woman to watch in the ring. And I think this is the fight to make at, one, uh, at 135 pounds. There is no doubt in my mind Amanda Serrano versus Katie Taylor is going to be a hell of a fight. Not just for women's boxing like or or a hell of a fight by women's boxing standards. I think it's going to be a hell of a fight by boxing standards. That's how good these two women are. And Katie Taylor provided that uh, provided us tonight with the best fight of the night with the, arguably the two most exciting rounds of the night. And I think in my opinion, I think Katie Taylor is you know prime for a major 2019 she beats amanda serrano that is going to make that you could that she in my opinion becomes an all-time great or at least it's in that conversation for all-time great because katie taylor just like with clarissa shields she is an olympic gold medalist she's won world titles early in her pro career and defending them with relative ease and often so I think Katie Taylor has the makings of being a real international superstar if she isn't already in women's boxing. So I'm excited for Amanda Serrano versus Katie Taylor by the end of 2019. So we move on to the main The Zone card. Ryan Garcia defeating Braulio Rodriguez by knockout in the fifth round. And <laughs> oh, man, <laughs> this fight was a circus act. This was this was weird if you have or if you have not seen this fight and you've already wasted your the zone subscription i recommend paying the ten dollars to watch this fight alone never mind the katie taylor fight that that but that is also worth watching but god um, Ryan Garcia was in his first fight with under Eddie Reynoso, really taking his career to the next step. He looked really, really good. Raulio Rodriguez was the epitome of a boxing clown 
in this entire fight. First of all, he already proved he was clown heading into the ring. In his walkout music, and I'm sure practically no one on this podcast will understand this reference, but his walkout music was the opening theme song to this Hispanic uh, television show from several decades ago called El Chavo del Ocho. And it was a very, very popular show, uh, TV show. I, when I was growing up, that was one of my favorite TV shows. And it was very bizarre in this time because it was at a time where you can't have, you couldn't have child actors. So you had adults playing children. And I'm not talking about like, like some like people, adults who could pass for teenagers, for, for, for young teens. No, we're talking people, middle-aged people acting, dressing, talking like children. And his ring and his walkout music was the opening theme song to that one. First of all, that got the biggest pop for me of the night. But he didn't stop there. Raleo Rodriguez was knocked down in, in the first round with a right hook to the temple, to the side of the head of, uh, and then a left hook to the chin by Ryan Garcia. By that point, I thought they, they're going to end this fight right there. Raleo Rodriguez gets up. And we go on to proceed for the next four rounds. Do the world's worst Ricardo Mayorga impression. He was getting hit left and right. He was getting dominated. He was not putting up a fight at all. But he would just constantly showboat, doing the Ali shuffle, doing all these taunts within the crowd was booing him, and everybody was thinking, "What the hell is Barlow Rodriguez doing? He's losing every round." In in dominant fashion, he's not putting up a fight. He's throwing, throwing all these wild punches left and right. And Ryan Garcia, credit to him, he was comfortable. He didn't look, he wasn't panicking. He looked really, really good. Eddie Reynolds has already done wonders for his career. Because if this was before Ryan Garcia was uh, was under the, got in, under the tutelage of Eddie Reynolds, I, I think Braulio could have actually done some damage to Ryan Garcia because Ryan Garcia would have been flustered out there. He would have not known what to do. But Ryan stood his ground, looked great. He dominated. He he landed the punches when he needed to, but he didn't press. He didn't try to actively go for the knockout. He didn't try to force it. He let the knockout happen naturally. And Bradley Rodriguez was just smiling, sticking his tongue out, doing doing everything in the book to not win this fight, uh, hitting low blows, left and right, rabbit punches. He already had a point deducted from him at that point, uh, I believe in the third round, third, fourth round. Uh, Estevan Jimenez said, Ryan looked good. I, I agree. He looked way better. He, leaps and bounds, looked fantastic compared to his last fight. I think he, I think, under Eddie Reynoso's tutelage, he's going to be a real player in 2019. So Ryan Garcia, Dominator, knocked him out in the fifth round. Braulio Rodriguez, really, goddamn, he's a clown. I mean, I'll give him credit if he really, really thought he was getting under the under Ryan Garcia's skin by doing what he did. Kudos to him, I guess. You know, he had the cojones to attempt something that dumb in uh, essentially enemy territory in front of a pro Mexican crowd. 
That takes a lot of ball, a lot of guts. Not necessarily a lot of brains, but it certainly takes something to to certainly attempt to do that. So we go into the deep into the main cards. Damali against Mauricio Herrera in a welterweight fight. Saramali wins by unanimous decision. Wide, wide scores all around. It's a boring fight. Not really much to talk about. Uh, Mauricio Herrera. This was kind of essentially his last shot at proving himself. He's a real world title challenger. I feel sorry for him because he was essentially robbed when he fought Danny Garcia at 140 pounds a few years back. He was he. Some people thought he was robbed when he lost to Jose Benavides Jr. And he, really, if he had just won, won one of those two fights, he could have been a world champion, a true world champion, not an interim world champion. But regardless, Saddam Ali dominated, I guess, question mark, but he he looked much better at 147 pounds compared to 154. He should stay at 147, but even then, I don't know, I don't know what options are there for him at 147 because Saddam Ali is essentially stuck. He's on the zone, but all the world champions are are with PBZ or with I'm trying to or with ESPN because you have Crawford with top rank. And then you have Sean Porter, Keith Thurman, Errol Spence Jr., and Manny Pacquiao with PBC. So there's nothing for Saddam Ali. There really isn't. And I don't even know if he's going to be good enough to eventually challenge for a title, to be honest with you. He might get a shot if PBC and Matchroom Bo- and the Golden Boy Promotions work out something. But I-, I really don't think Saddam Ali's prospects at 147 are that much better compared to 154 at the very very at the very least i think Saddam Ali looks better and looks more natural at 147 compared to 154 uh let's see S7 Jimenez on the live chat saying credit on it on Braulio Rodriguez's dance moves but had a weird title fight against against Ryan Garcia yeah <laughs> yeah yeah weird is certainly one word to describe it you can call it that so, Moko main event. Tevin Farmer against Francisco Fonseca for the IBS Super Featherweight title. Uh, Tevin Farmer, this was, a, this was a, an okay fight. This was, I, I certainly had enjoyed it. I enjoyed it a lot more than a lot of people on social media were calling it. Uh, Robert Garcia, um, Mark, who is Mikey Garcia's trainer, uh, he said that he doesn't. He never hopes to see another Tevin Farmer fight again. I would not go that far. I can see why a lot of people were dissatisfied with that fight. It was a lot of defense from from Tevin Farmer. He was outboxing him. He was a little more aggressive than Francisco Fonseca. He was outboxing him throughout the first 10 rounds. And Tevin Farmer, he was slick. He was very quick. Very, very good on the defensive side. He Francisco Fonseca never really landed a hard punch onto Tevin Farmer. Despite the stats being somewhat even, Fonseca landed 192 power punches, 31% of his power punches, and Tevin Farmer only landed 218. But in reality, Tim Farmer landed the more effective power punches, and Francisco Fonseca just struggled a lot just... You know, even though I think a lot of copy box try kind of registered a lot of Fonseca's punches, but they were not clean shots. They were not, you know, shots where 
Fonseca did damage to Tevin Farmer. He did not. Tevin Farmer defeats Francisco Fonseca by unanimous decision. 117-111 on all three judges scorecards. Same, same. My scorecard also was 117-111. So the story after the fight was that Tevin Farmer said he's going to defend his title in his hometown of Philadelphia in March 2019. He was asked about Gervonta Davis, who has been in an on-again, off-again feud with Gervonta uh, for essentially a year. A little more than a year, actually, on social media. Uh, Tim Farmer was actually close to being the mandatory challenger to Gervonta Davis's IBF title at the time, but Davis missed weight in August 2017, so he was stripped of the title. Tim Farmer eventually won that this August in Australia by being Billy Dibb. And Tim Farmer has, has, look, has stayed really, really busy. Uh, it, after the fight, funny enough, after the fight, Tim Farmer said he graded him, so I think it was like a C-plus or something like that. And then and Sugar Ray Leonard and Brian Brian Kenny on commentary were, were saying, what are you talking about? No, C-plus. What, what kind of critic is he? He's got an A, A-plus. I would say, I think I wouldn't call it an A or an A-plus performance. I'd say B, solid B, B-plus, because he did look really, really good. And defensively, he did well enough to keep himself fresh and healthy for a March defense in Philadelphia. I don't think it's going to be anything against anybody too strong. He doesn't have a mandatory challenger because uh, Joe Carroll was supposed to fight a uh, a title eliminator last week. And his fight ended in a draw. So we don't know what's going to be. So I don't know the status of... Uh, Jono Carroll as the IBF Super Featherweight Champ, but I suppose you can still make that fight. You know, there's nothing preventing them from from making that fight possible. So, Tim Farmer against uh, Jono Carroll for March 2019. I guess that's certainly a fight to keep him busy. I, I don't know where do you, what's the plan for Tim Farmer because I'll, maybe you can get you can get Alberto Machado in there. Because he, he, Machado is being promoted by Miguel Cotto, who has working relationship with Golden Boy Promoters. So that's a that's a fight you could do down the line, and I think that'd be a really really fun fight because Machado's this lanky but strong 130 pound fighter, who in my opinion is the rightful WBA champion. He holds the secondary title, but that's all. But and Javante Davis is the super champion, but. Alberto Machado is the should be the champion, the true 130 pound champion at for the WBA, and and that's that's the whole can of worms that I will discuss on another day. But regardless, Tevin Farmer fights is fighting in Philly. That's not been official or anything, but that's the plan moving forward. And and I find it hard to believe that Mushroom and the Zone wouldn't want to have that fight take place. I they they they're making frequent events left and right and the whole thing about the zone and with matchroom fighters and golden boy fighters being on that streaming service is to keep them busy keep them fighting three four times a year Tim Farmer's already fought in his third world title fight since August so not really much of a surprise right there for Tim Farmer to fight in March which honestly, that's actually a lengthy break considering what some of these champions on the zone have been fighting uh, uh, in terms of time spent oh, in between fights. So, 
overall, I thought this was a, a good fight, a good card overall. It, I'm glad that this fight, you know, I don't want to say that I'm that I'm happy that a couple of the fights were were canceled because you know I I never I don't want to I, I don't like hearing that David Lemieux is, is suffering from weight cutting problems. I don't like to hear about that, but. I thought the pacing of the card was really good. I thought that, you know, the fact that they constantly kept putting fights on fights and fights one after the other with not much time in between fights, I thought that was really good. I thought for this type of card, you needed that kind of pacing because a lot of the fights were scheduled. I think all of the the zone cards were at least scheduled for 10 rounds one way or another. So uh, I think overall, the pacing was good. It ended at round midnight. So I midnight on the East Coast. So that's not bad, but overall, I think I think Matchroom and, and the Zone should stop it with these law with these very deep cards. Whenever they do you uh, shows in the United States, because let's be honest, this if it wasn't for the Lemieux fight being canceled, hell, it's one seventeen on the East Coast. Who's to say that if Canelo versus Rocky went the distance, they actually might still be fighting right now. So, and really, you should have made events start at 11 p.m. At the latest, I say 10 p.m. Like, start cards at 8 p.m. And have your main event start at 10, 10, 30, 11 p.m. Don't, don't, don't make the East Coast suffer because you want to have, you want to keep keep the subscription, keep getting more subscriptions at the last second or keep getting last minute pay-per-view buy. That that's you don't do don't do that. That's not good. That's not good for the sport. You want to have as much exposure as possible and getting those main events at 10 11 p.m. That's the way you should do it. So, overall, I believe this is the last the zone card for bo- boxing wise for 2018 in the United States. Uh, as I pre- as I previously said, they do have a the zone is already has two boxing cards in the United States. Uh, one is a Golden Boy card, January twenty sixth at the Toyota Center in Houston. Jaime Mugia versus Takeshi Inoue for the WBO Junior Middleweight Title, and Jesus Rojas versus Kanshu for the WBA Regular Featherweight Title. And then uh, Matchroom card is I believe January eighteen. Demetrius Andrade versus Arthur Akava for the WBO middleweight title and Jorge Linares versus Pablo Cesar Cano. Uh, I'm assuming that's going to be a junior welterweight fight as Pablo, uh, I mean, as Jorge Linares is probably now going to look to make a run at a title at 140 pounds, probably at Maurice Hooker's WBO title at that weight class. So, reality, uh, they funny enough, that, that card has taken place in four weeks and we haven't had an announcement in regards to where it's going to be. So I, I don't know why they didn't make an announcement. So that, that I, I thought that was pretty weird. Uh, as Evan Jimenez said, do you think that Golden Boy will put Canelo up against boxers like Jacobs or G- Triple G3 or keep him in these EC fights with a zone contract? I know uh, I would find it very hard to believe that the zone is simply going to allow Golden Boy to have East, uh, to have Canelo fight 11 so, quote-unquote easy fights. I think we're going to get Canel versus Jacobs or Andrade or against Mungia or Callum Smith or Triple G at some point in these 11 fights. I don't know when we might get it as soon as next May, but I don't think, but I don't think we're going to get 
like the Rocky Fieldings of the world for eleven fights. First of all, I don't know where you, if you can even find uh, find a justifiable reason to do that for eleven fights. Which, if they manage to do it, kudos to them for somehow ma- managing managing to do it. So, um, yeah, I think that about wraps it up for for the podcast. This has been fun. This has been a very eventful night. Uh, for more reasons than one, Canelo Alvarez beating Rocky Fielding for the WBA junior, uh, regular super middleweight title. Fun, fun night. I, I really enjoyed it. Thank you all for being a part of the live chat, answering, uh, you know, getting your questions out there. I love answering your questions. I love talking to everyone about boxing. And quite frankly, I, I certainly did enjoy the boxing. I, I love the presentation of the zone. I, I had no problems with the stream. I don't know about any of you guys who, uh, who watched the fight. I had no issues whatsoever. So. Overall, I thought this night was a success and a good step forward for the zone in the United States. I don't know what's going to be the subscription numbers. We probably won't find that out until later if they even bother revealing us those numbers. So until then, we we got you covered with the latest in boxing, MMA, pro wrestling news. Go visit Fightful.com, FightfulBoxing.com, FightfulMMA.com, FightfulWrestle.com. Subscribe to our new Fightful MMA and Boxing channel. We're here live streaming every, you know, on, on the dot uh, regularly with news, with recaps, results of boxing events, MMA news, boxing news. Whenever it happens, myself, Sean Ross, uh, Sean Rossap. James Lynch, Showdown Joe. We got you all covered here with here at FIFO.com. So give us a thumbs up, subscribe, and thank you all for joining us for the Canelo versus Rocky post show. Until then, have a wonderful evening, everybody, and, and see you next time. When you need mealtime inspiration, it's worth Shopping Kroger, where you'll find over 30,000 mouth-watering choices that excite your inner foodie. And no matter what tasty choice you make, you'll enjoy our everyday low prices, plus extra ways to save, like digital coupons worth over $600 each week. You can also save up to $1 off per gallon at the pump with fuel points. More savings and more inspiring flavors make Shopping Kroger worth it every time. Kroger, fresh for everyone. Fuel restrictions apply.